This Christmas, for the first time, America's most exciting and legendary motion picture hero comes to the screen like you've never seen him before. The Bat! In an all-new, larger-than-life feature film. Now, the Dark Knight confronts his newest and most menacing villain. Your angel of death awaits. The Phantasm. I want you. And faces his greatest danger. Can't be too careful with all those weirdos around. A soaring new adventure. Batman. Mask of the Phantasm. The animated movie. Coming for a Christmas you'll never forget. Welcome, citizens of Gotham, to The Fire Rises, a Batman podcast focusing on all things The Dark Knight and his world. If you'd like to connect with the show, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and X at TFRBatPod. And if you have thoughts, questions, comments, or suggestions for future episodes of the show, you can reach us by email. Just shoot those emails to TFRBatPod at gmail.com. My name is Eric Carter, and I am your host, and I am joined once again by the returning co-host of this show, Mr. Joseph Fornerado. Joe, I hope you enjoyed your vacation. Welcome back, my friend. Thank you, Eric. Yes, I did. It's been a minute. Um, it, it, I was trying to set up everything before recording, and yeah, I didn't realize how long it's been since we've done this until I actually got down here and got ready to record. But yeah, thank you for having me back. It's good to be back, and yeah, vacation was fun, but... uh it's sometimes I, I just can't wait to be home when I'm on vacation. I like being home, but it you was need fun. a vacation from vacation. Yeah. yeah Luckily Thanksgiving exactly. came and I had a nice break after that, but it was good. Yeah, that's good. Good. And, and we do want to thank Matt uh, Hewlin for joining me last time. That was a really fun episode. And uh, we are here today to do another animated film as I did with Matt last time. Um, but before we get there, we do want to make sure that we give a shout out to our partner sponsor here on TFR. And that is the great folks at organic priced books. Now this is the perfect time of season or time of year for organic price books, because if you're looking for gift ideas for that, for that nerd or that comic reader in your life, this is a pl great place to go. Organic Price Books is a small business. Um, it's a small group of guys who are dedicated to bringing you savings on hardcovers, trade paperbacks, oversized you know, graphic novels, absolutes, omnibus, anything you're looking for in that space. They do have all the biggies, you know, DC, Marvel, IDW, and they have the, you know, your Dark Horse, your Dynamite Comics. All of those carriers are located at Organic Price Books. And if you go to the link in the description of this podcast, use that link and shop there. 
with our promo codes, the first being TFRBATPOD to save you $2 off of any order, and the second being TFRBATPOD, ship it together to save you 5% on any order of three or more books. So Joe, I know they've got a lot of graphic novels that have recently came out. I'm actually behind. There's a few I wanted to get, like the Super Sons Omnibus that was re-released recently uh the batman hush saga i was considering still kind of considering that one but there's all kinds of books that are available and i think it's a great gift idea if you're looking for uh, a christmas present for someone you've still got a little time before we get to the date uh wouldn't you say that's a good idea for a gift I, that is definitely a good idea and it's funny i i think we went on such a long stretch in the summer of so many like a um, couple of uh, Snyder absolutes came out. Snyder Capullo absolutes came out this year. You got the uh, the Loeb sale absolute Superman for all seasons. Um, I've kind of hit my uh, my uh, my limit this year so far. I haven't. I, the Hush one is really cool, but I have Hush in so many different versions that I don't know if I can do another one. But um, if anyone's willing to get me a gift, I'll, t- I'll take it. That's for sure. But <laughs> as far as my own spending for myself, I think I got to take a break for now. But I'll I'll look on there and see what what you never know what's going to be on there. So you always end up getting stuff that you don't need. That's for sure. Well, I mean, do we need any of it, really? I mean, we want all of it. Well, there's but. there are levels. There there's the need level, and then the really want level, and then the I don't need or even want this, but it looks really cool. Like, <laughs> you, yeah, absolutely. And the greatest feature I think of organic price books is even if it's not a Christmas idea you're looking for, those pre-orders yeah. are really nice uh, mm-hmm. because you do get discounted pre-orders, and you can apply those promo codes. And I've noticed that a lot of times those pre-orders they sell out quick. So if you're looking for something, you know, it might be on back order by the day it actually releases. Of course, they get it back in stock, but it's it's nice to jump on those pre-orders. So anyway, guys, make sure you go to Organic Price Books. Use that link in, in the description of the podcast. Use those promo codes because not only are you saving money and supporting a small business, but you're also supporting this show. And we greatly appreciate that. So thank you again to Organic Price Books. All right, Joe. Well, what we're here to discuss today, of course, and our listeners are probably sick of hearing it, but we do love anniversaries, and this one is a gigantic one. We, of course, have the 30th anniversary this month of Batman, Mask of the Phantasm. All right, Joe. So Mask of the Phantasm was released in December of 1993 in fact it was released christmas day in 1993 so 30 years ago in just a couple of weeks so first of all can you and i know we say this every time we talk about an anniversary but can you believe that this movie that was a big part of our childhood is 30 years old yeah it's it's one of those where you know it's been around a long time because you remember it from when you were young. But it just puts into perspective how old we're getting when you hear that number. And you re- like, I shouldn't remember something coming out that was 30 years old. That's the way my brain works right now. And I'm like, oh, like, wow. Like, yeah, I, I remember seeing this and we'll get into it. But I saw this in the theater. Um, I do remember this coming out pretty vividly uh, for being seven years old at the time when this came out. And yeah, I, I can't believe it's been 30 years. It's so weird to think about. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating that 
you know, the, <laughs> the things that we have that are beloved to us, you know, the more we talk about them, it feels like just time keeps on flying and these things just get older and older. But I don't know, when you look at something like Mask of the Phantasm and, and much like Batman, the animated series, that animation just doesn't even, and I know it may be a bias, I don't know, but it just doesn't feel old. Like I can look at Batman 89 and you can, as beautiful as that movie is, you can tell it's a little dated, yeah. you know, just by the way it looks. But Mask of the Phantasm, I mean, again, just like the series, it doesn't look to me like old animation, especially with the the new formats we've gotten. You know, you and I have the 4K edition that just recently came out. The, the movie's beautiful. It looks great. So I don't know. It's just it's hard to believe that something like this is this old. Well, I think even just comparing it to other animated things that came out in the nineties. Like I always, I mean, it kind of goes hand in hand with Batman, the animated series where when you watch like other animated shows from that era, they all have that same feel to them. And again, it, it could be my bias because I've always watched Batman, the animated series. It's always been there. I just, I never stopped watching it. So it doesn't seem like an old cartoon to me, but when you watch like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or the Spider-Man animated series or X-Men, they all have that same feel to it. You could tell it's a late eighties, early nineties cartoon. When you watch those shows, Batman, the animated series doesn't seem that way to me. And mm -hmm. this movie in particular, it doesn't, I mean, yeah, I guess you could kind of just, cause it harkens back to our childhood. We can look at it as an older animated film. But it just, I don't know, it, it doesn't it doesn't seem like it has that, like the stigma of being an older animated, uh, animated film. Like it's just, it's a great animated film and it's a great film in general. And I don't think I even realized until just now talking about it that this was the first Batman movie I saw in the theaters. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, I think I, you had told me that before. Well, it's funny. I, I said that I saw this in the theaters, but it didn't. I don't think it clicked that this was the first Batman movie I saw in the theaters because I, I did not see Batman 89 or Batman Returns in the theater. Um, those were both VHS uh, rentals for me when they first came out and either rentals or I probably own the VHSs also. But Batman Forever was the first um, live action movie I saw in the theater. But this... I yeah I still remember going I I guess it was like we probably went on like the 26th or 27th um and I remember you going, had to have because it had like what a week, a week. two weeks in yeah theaters? it wasn't yeah. long but I know I didn't go on Christmas we were never a family that went to the movies on Christmas um and I remember bringing a friend with me um and I remember my mom and dad took us and and we went to see this and I remember the theater we went to and everything and. I couldn't tell you if the theater was packed or not. I couldn't tell you anything about that. I just remember going and I don't even really remember the experience of seeing it for the first time. I just remember being in the theater and going to see a Batman movie and everything that kind of came along with that afterwards. But it's tough. I mean, I was seven years old. It's hard to remember uh, great detail how it was, but it is cool to look back and think that I, I can say I saw this in the theater because not many, even huge Batman fans did not get to go see this in the theater. And for whatever reason, I made my parents take me and they agreed. So thank you to them for, for taking me to see this. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I caught up to this one late because of course, as we've discussed, it's, it's uh, 
documented at this point that Batman Forever was my first Batman anything. Um, so this is my introduction to the character. And then I I dove into everything Batman I could. And um, I believe. So I got the rest of the Tim Burton and Joel Schumacher uh, movies as they can. I got the the VHSs that Christmas of 95 of, you know, 89 mm-hmm. returns and forever. And I want to say the next year, probably around my birthday in June is when I saw this for the first time, because, you know, my mom found a VHS of this at like a, you know, blockbuster or something like that on mm-hmm. sale. Um, so I remember watching this on a VHS for the first time. So I was way late. I was a couple of years after this had come out before I saw it for the first time, but I loved it because I was, I was knee deep in the animated series at that time. Um, so yeah, I, I do remember watching this for the first time and just loving it. And at the, at the time it just felt like, and it very much is, it just felt like an extension of the, of the show. Mm-hmm. I didn't grasp at that age how monumental this movie was. And I don't think a lot of people did because I do think over the years, because it didn't have huge success at the box office, it really became a, for lack of a better term, a cult classic Mm -hmm. because it really caught steam. And the fascinating part is to me is that this was not intended to be a theatrical release. Um, This was supposed to be straight to home video. And then at like zero hour, Warner Brothers let the production company or the, you know, the animated team know uh, this is going theatrical. And I think, I think we talked about this maybe in our animated uh, movie rankings episode with the guys from Batcast. Um, it doesn't have as much of a polished look as Batman Sub-Zero does mm-hmm. because I think they didn't have the budget. Um, that was intended for a theatrical release and they didn't know it was going theatrical. So, and the funny thing, Sub-Zero did not go theatrical, correct? Ironically, is it a flip where was Sub-Zero supposed to be theatrical and then didn't? I can't remember. I don't, I don't know. If, I don't know if Sub-Zero was ever supposed to go um, theatrical or not, but I do know that it definitely has more of a, a crisper look to it. It doesn't look just like a, a copy and paste of the animated series where this it's, it's, I guess it's more polished. You could tell it has a little bit more of a budget, but other than the opening credits, the animation itself to me is much more in line with the animated series than sub zero sub zero had a lot of extra CGI animation, right? If I remember correctly, I think so. Yes. Especially the cityscapes and things like that. So what this gets in the opening credits with the with the where as you're going through the city yeah. was the credits roll sub zero got that a lot throughout yes with the with the backgrounds and the cityscapes and yeah. things like that so yeah with this one it's funny i i, I know i kind of nerd out a little bit with aspect ratio and i'm going to go a little bit on a tangent here with the aspect ratio of this one because this is one of those rare occurrences where i can't decide what the best way to watch this is because it was initially supposed to be in 4.3 because it was supposed to be for TV. And then mm. they somehow did something weird where they, they after the fact, I don't know if they added animation to make it fit the widescreen or they did crop it in certain instances, but it's not just a standard crop all the way through or extend all the way through. It's kind of mixed match throughout as far as I understand it. 
so it was made to be a widescreen after production had started. And so you can watch it in both versions. And I've never gone side by side to compare the two, but I don't have a preference either way. I always watch it in 4.3 because that was how it was originally meant. But mm. now that we have the 4K version, it's only in wide, which I do think is a little disappointing, as stupid as that is. But it's one of those where I don't fault anyone for watching it either way because it's such a weird situation where they kind of planned for both. And yeah. there's not really a correct way to watch it, which is is very rare. I can't think of another movie that was like that. Well, and the interesting part, since you bring that up, because I um, I watched the 4K when I got it a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago um, today because I wanted to rewatch it because it's been a couple of weeks since we were supposed <laughs> since we were supposed to do this. Yeah. Um, so I rewatched it today, but I watched my um, Apple Apple TV version, mm-hmm. and because I'm honestly just too lazy to go grab the disc again and i was doing other things so um after i finished the movie i was looking at because i had not yet watched the um i am the night kevin conroy feature mm-hmm. so yeah. i watched that today as well but i noticed the 4-3 version is in the special features so you yes. can click on that and watch the 4-3 version but not um, in 4k but not in 4k yeah so, so you still it's still available on the blu-ray so I, mm-hmm. I have the Blu-ray. The Blu-ray has both versions. And yes, you can watch it both ways digitally. But on the actual 4K disc, it's just the 16.9, um, which it's so not it's, completely 16.9. It's a different technical ratio. I don't know what it is. But but it's interesting that they have both versions on the 4K, but only one did they upscale, Yes, I guess. So just interesting how that works. And we're yeah. boring everybody with technical <laughs> talk. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, I rewatched it today, loved it just as much as I always do. And and I think that's that's the thing to point out before we even get really into it here is I just mentioned the animated rankings that we did with Holy Batcast. And if I'm I, I'm pretty sure I'm correct, all four of us had this in at least the top two, and I believe you had it as your number one. Is that correct? Yeah, this was definitely my number one. Uh, I, I think, I mean, if it wasn't, I'd be shocked, but I'm, I'm almost 99% sure this was my number one. Yeah. Cause I think myself, Andy and Brendan had and under the red hood, right? Under the red hood, number one, yeah. but this was number two. So, mm-hmm. I mean, all of us had it high in the top five and that goes to show you 30 years later, it's still so highly regarded. And it's going to be no secret that Joe and I both absolutely love this movie. So, and we're not, again, because this is a 30 year old movie, everybody has seen this movie. We're not going to go beat by beat and talk about the entire story. But I did want to talk about, um, I guess, just the things that I love the most about this movie. And the top of the list being, I think this may be, and this is a weird thing to love. I think this may be the saddest Batman movie I've ever Mm. seen. I'll go. I'll say most emotional Batman movie I've ever seen and kind of take a little positive twist on it. But you can say that if you want to. This thing is sad. Yes, it is. It is. And Um, from all angles, like, I mean, it's funny because you just mentioned Under Red Hood, which is a pretty sad movie, too. But it's not all sad. Like, there's other stuff going on. This movie 
because of the switching timelines, it just is constantly beating you down with the sadness. It is <laughs> at all different different stages of Bruce's life and Andrea's life. Like there was no, ha- there was like a little bit of happiness, but no, no, no. <laughs> Let's go back yeah. to sadness. And I think, and, and that's a weird thing to say, you know, I love it because of, of how sad it is, but I think the reason I love it so much is because I think that uh, going to that depth and that level, I think mm-hmm. this is the best performance Kevin Conroy ever had yeah. in the role. Um, and I cannot talk about Kevin Conroy in this role, in this movie, without talking about the graveyard scene, because God, it rips my heart out every time I watch it. And it just, I didn't expect to be happy. That line, I mean, wow. I, yeah. You know, for for the for the hero we love so much and we love the aspects of him being i mean as maybe cruel and harsh as this is one of the reasons we love him so much is because of his determination even though he's a, he's very tortured he's mm-hmm. a, he's a tortured soul but hearing him say that you know that he was this close to happiness and it got ripped away from him is just man it's heartbreaking and Kevin Conroy nails it and not only that but just to kind of go the other way a little bit here when you talk about the depth this film has and and all the emotion and all the sadness we watched this as little kids and we were never bored so none of that stuff even mattered to me when i was seven years old mm-hmm. but i still wore this vhs out yeah i watched this all the time i was never bored it's a what 75 minute movie if that um 78 okay um, I don't ever remember being bored of the love story when I was a kid. I don't think I cared that it was a love story because I just wanted to see Batman. And but like Bruce is in this a lot. There's not there's a long periods of this where Batman is not in it. And again, to keep a kid's attention throughout this whole movie takes a lot. And I think that is partially the goodwill from the animated series where we were already in. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, but I do think that's um means a lot and. I still remember this <laughs> kind of another tangent, but this came in the clamshell case when we were kids, the old, mm-hmm. you know, plastic clamshell case. I remember watching this so much that I broke the clamshell case and I had to take the label out of it. And I bought a generic plastic VHS case and had to put the label in that. So I had like my own sturdier case. So it mm. wouldn't, um, so it was still structured enough <laughs> so I could watch it all the time. But yeah, the the graveyard scene is if you had to do a list of like top five moments in Batman film history, that has to be in it. I mean, it, it would borderline for me top. Uh, it would borderline at the top for me in general. Well, um, not only not only Batman history, but Kevin Conroy. Oh, yeah. You know, it, when you talk about his greatest moments. Yeah, yeah. As Batman, it's it's up there. For everybody. It would be hard to think of any other Batman moment in anything that was as emotional as that scene. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I agree with that. Yeah, I mean, we could talk about that scene for an hour, probably. It's This is one of those movies that I I still, to this day, watch this movie a lot. And I think the, you know, the comfortness of it, because it's been around for so long, the quick runtime, 
just if you're going to watch something with Kevin Conroy, if something with the animated series, this is just one that I always go to. And this is one where my wife will come in and be like, you're watching this again? Like, why do you watch this so much? And I, I really don't have an answer. I just do. Like, it's just, if I can't decide what to put on, this is usually my go-to. It's so yeah. weird, but I, there's never a moment where I'm like, ah, I'm bored of that. Like, I, I can watch this all the time. Well, and, and you and I were... You and I were talking uh, in in a group chat yesterday about, you know, I had asked the question, what are movies that make you think of Christmas or feel Christmassy, even though they're not Christmas related? And this is one because I know the release date that I feel urged to watch Mm -hmm. during December every year. Mm -hmm. And it feels like Christmas when it's time to watch mask of the phantasm <laughs> and, and that's completely weird. Cause this is not Christmassy whatsoever. No. So but zero I think would fit better with a Christmas. Movie. It would. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But just knowing the time of year, this came out and it was a holiday season movie. Mm-hmm. It just, I don't know. It, it puts me in the, in the Christmas spirit and then it beats me over the head with sadness. <laughs> well, I, I also think when, when you think back to like being a kid, I think mm-hmm. I I mean me for myself I I associate nostalgia and being a kid with Christmas. So mm-hmm. I think sometimes we remember being on Christmas break or being home a lot more during the holidays and and watching our favorite movies over and over again. I think this is a perfect example of that. Like when you knew you were having a couple of days off school and you couldn't wait to just hang out and watch a Batman movie, like this is the one I would probably watch more than anything else. Still yeah. I still do. I mean, when I was a kid, Batman Returns was not a Christmas movie. <laughs> like, I didn't think to watch that, you know, so no. this was probably one that I watched a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And to your point, what you said earlier about even though it, I mean, it, it is heavy and it's emotional, um, I think there's enough here with the mystery of who the who Phantasm is mm-hmm. and seeing how he's, you know, is Phantasm going to take these people out? and trying to figure out who that is i think and and the action beats that are in there because there's some pretty harrowing encounters between you know these mobsters and phantasm and batman and phantasm batman and joker joker and phantasm there's so many of those encounters that i think even as a kid you're like you can't look away you have to Mm -hmm. finish the story and see what the resolution is and i specifically remember um you know, watching this as a kid and thinking it was the dad. I did not think it was and Andrea Beaumont. I mm-hmm. thought it was her dad. The first yeah, time. I don't, that- I don't think I even thought about it when I was a kid. Now, and mm-hmm. also while we're on that, because again, like I didn't, I really did not think about stuff when I was a kid at all. Like I just watched movies and that was it. Um, yeah. I've heard Andy say it on Holy Backcast before that the figure for this came out prior to the movie and spoiled it for everybody. Now, this is where the ignorance of being a seven-year-old helps because I did not see any of that. Me either. Um, And again, I was two years or more late on this (laughs) movie. had no idea that was a thing. Mm -hmm. So So that's good. And it doesn't... I think it's... like I I can't even remember what I was thinking while watching the movie as a seven-year-old to try to remember like... Was it a mind blowing reveal when it happened or, but like you were just talking about like having the Joker in this film. I I remember like that was such a huge selling point to have the Joker in this. And it's such a, it's a very um, organic way to fit the Joker into the story. They did kind of give Joker a little bit of a backstory without giving him a, a full backstory. Which yeah. Cause they don't I, tell you who that mobster is. No. They and, just, yeah. As a kid, I don't even think I got that at all. 
I didn't, I yeah. probably went right over my head, but as an adult, like that doesn't bother you. Right. Like, I think that's a pretty cool thing. Like he was just a mob guy and that's how he ties into the story. It makes sense for the context of the film. Um, I know in the animated series, they did kind of play around with him being Jack Napier because you see it in the files in one of the episodes, but here they don't do yeah. that. He's just a generic mobster. Um, I do always find it funny how Batman determines that it's the Joker by doing the little red lipstick on the guy's face. The smiley face. Even yeah. while he was doing that when I was a kid, I'm like, I have no idea what's going on right now. Like, how did he see that? Like, what what is that? Like, but it's it's cool. Well, you can see the angular nose and things yeah. like that, but it <laughs> it kills me. That is it's not even a nitpick. It's just a funny moment for me. Yeah. It makes me laugh every time he's, he's like very focused and drawing the smiley face on. And then when he draws it and he steps yeah, back, he goes, look. he's like, <gasps> it just, yeah. it, that makes me laugh every single time. I don't know why. <laughs> um, but also like the reaction when he, when he puts on the cowl for the first time, uh, Alfred's face, it kills me too. Cause yeah. especially when Alfred goes good, god yeah. it just it, it it's a great moment but it's also i can't help but giggle a little bit mm. when he does little, that i guess a little over the top but like but yeah, it melod- gets the point melodramatic a yes, little bit. but it gets yeah. the point across but also like you were talking about funny one of the best lines in any batman movie is um i i i powdered uh now i'm gonna blow it but what does he say i i powdered your bottom i very well uh ought to where he's like you yeah know, you think you know everything about me yeah, like, yeah, that's a great a... line from Alfred. Yeah, I, sorry, I butchered it. No, that's okay. I, I'm not even going to try because I don't think I can remember it verbatim either. Uh, but I was going to say, while we're talking about little comical things, um, I know you love gangster movies and, and like the the Italian mob movies and things like that. So tell me what you think of the names in this movie for like Chucky <laughs> Saul and Buzz Bronski and things like They're that. They're great. Come on, that's that's part of the listen. It's so funny how like a lot of people get offended by like their cultures being like uh made fun of in like movies. The Italians are the only ones that are like loving it, like they are like proud of it for some reason. It makes no sense, but like everyone's like, oh, like the Italian nobody loves the Italian mob movies more than the Italians. Um, but this is so (laughs) it's so cliche, it's hilarious. My favorite guy is um Valestra. The the face he makes in the limo. When he goes, it's it's <laughs> when the other guy says, um, it's not very healthy in here and he shuts the door. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the look on the guy's face when he shuts the door. There's a lot of little, little dry humor in this that's great. Yeah, and it's not very healthy in here is a great line. That's a great as well, line. by the way. Yeah. yeah. So um, but yeah, that's another good one. Sal Valestra. Mm-hmm. Great name and just just sounds like a on the nose mobster name. And um, Jablon is it Jablonski? Is one of them something like that? Yeah. Oh, or Buzz Blonsky. Blonsky. I Bronsky. always Bronsky. What's the? There's a director or a writer from the animated series that's name sounds very similar to that, and I always felt like it had to have been a homage in some way. Um, possibly. Uh, I can't remember now. I'm gonna. I'm going to look that up to see if I can remember who it is, but um, yeah, there, there are some really, really fun names there. Radomsky. So Eric Radomsky, I always thought that might've been like a homage to him for some reason that always reminded me of that. Oh, well, he was the director of the film, him and, okay. and, and Bruce Tim. Yeah. That name always reminded me of it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I get that. Um, so I did want to talk about 
I think even, you know, of course we have the moments between Andrea and Batman um, and that torturous will they, won't they throughout the movie. And they even like, you know, they even hint at there may be a second chance here, which of course doesn't work once we find out what Andrea has been doing. Yeah. Um, but I think my favorite part of this movie is the final action set piece at the world's fair at the end because i mean you you do get you do get a little i don't know it it can get to a point where you're almost getting too sad but then that moment comes at the end where it's just an all-out batman battle sequence and it's 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 so fun and some of the best yeah and some of the best tit for tat between joker and batman that Mm -hmm. we have in the entire animated series so really in in anything we don't get a lot of fist fights between Batman and the Joker and that's a really good one with everything going on and Joker you know using all the toys and stuff with the, the yeah. world's fair really fun stuff I the stupid baloney gag kills me too um with the robot mm, or the salami yeah. whatever it was salami or baloney whatever he's cutting up with the, the like him t- treating the robot like it's a girlfriend is really funny to me Yeah I love the meatloaf again mm-hmm. <laughs> um but yeah, and then the ending, of course, is a misdirect with the Joker because you know there's Andrea decides it's time it's time for this all to end, so she's gonna do away with not only the Joker but herself at the same time as the World Fair explodes. And of course, after the fact, Batman can't find a trace of either of them. Mm-hmm. Um, which of course the Joker's coming coming back because he pops up in the animated series again afterwards and i don't know where this falls in the animated series timeline which there wasn't a lot of real continuity in the in the series anyway it never put itself you know does this episode take place Mm. after this one or things like that um but i found it interesting that they do set up at the end because bruce as he's being consoled by alfred he finds the locket in the bat cave and he never was able to find any trace of andrea or Joker. So there's that little hint that possibly she could still be out there, but I love the restraint by the team that they never thought they needed to revisit that, you know, mm-hmm. like it's a dangling thread. They could, if they wanted to, but I think they were right in thinking that this was so good that you might not be able to top it. So why revisit that? Well, I guess, but I love the dangling string that she could be. Well, in, Epilogue takes place after this, correct? I believe so. So that's the only time in the animated universe. I know with the comics, they've done their thing here and there. Um, So Andrea was still out there working for Waller, apparently, in Epilogue. Um, And I haven't watched that in a long time, so I don't know the details of it. But that is the only time they ever thought to really bring her back in any capacity, as far as I know. Yeah, and I guess I was thinking the animated series itself. Okay, like yeah, never, which is weird. Um, like, I'm surprised they never brought her back for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but and I I haven't made it all the way through my um, the adventures, Batman the Adventures uh, omnibus from Paul mm-hmm. Dini. Um, but I don't know if they ever brought her back in the comic form either. I, I th- Brent Brendan could answer that. For yeah. Us. <laughs> I, so. Kyle Higgins brought her back in the Batman Beyond animated um, mm. comic. 
um, gotcha. or, or or Batman Beyond comic. It wasn't a you know por- he took it from the Batman Beyond comic. I mean from the the show. So his mm-hmm. continuity there. Excuse me. He took a lot from the show. But I I haven't read that in a while either, so I don't remember the continuity there. He did a lot of fun stuff with the the continuity from the animated series and and bringing back uh, Dick and Bruce a lot in the Batman Beyond comic, which was cool. Yeah, um, but yeah, I again I like that they didn't feel the need, but I'm kind of surprised that they didn't because uh-huh. after especially after this became more successful over the years, they definitely could have brought her back in some form or the other. And the only tut uh, the only as you mentioned. The only time they ever even did hint at it was with epilogue, which yeah. is also in the special features of the, of the yes, desk. That's right. That's I forgot it. about that. So nice little addition there. Yeah. Um, but I do want to get to one other part. I, I want to get to the Kevin Conroy documentary. Have you seen it? Did you watch it? I think I put it on when I first got the disc and I think I put it on when I was going to bed one night and I watched a little bit of it and I never revisited it. So today was the first time I watched it and I really just did want to give credit to DC animation um, or whichever team did this for the special features because it kind of choked me up today Mm -hmm. watching it. Um, and really that, I mean, just sitting down and really focusing on it and hearing all these people, because let's be honest, it's, it's a love fest for Kevin Conroy mm. for half, half an hour, but he deserves that. Um, and just listening to Andrea Romano talk about him and especially Paul Dini, mm-hmm. um, because Paul Dini said, you know, every time he writes Batman, when he's doing the dialogue, whether it be comic or whatever, he's hearing Kevin Conroy in his head. Yeah. And he said that it, there was no bigger excitement for him putting pen to paper, knowing that these lines were going to be read by Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill. He said that was the biggest thrill of his career, which I mm-hmm. thought, you know, Paul Dini's had a pretty amazing career that says speaks volumes to the talent of those two and the kind of people they were. So I just wanted to give a shout out to Kevin Conroy once again, because Joe and I have showered plenty of love on (laughs) Kevin Conroy. Um, We did a whole episode about him, but yeah, I just, I was not expecting to pop that on today before recording and get a little choked up. And I did. So yeah, shout out to that team. Well, just to echo what you're saying with like what Paul Dini was saying, even myself and you know, I'm, I'm assuming you, I don't want to speak for you, but as much as we love Ben Affleck or, or you know any of the Batmans, whether it be Ben Affleck, Robert Pattinson, Christian Bale, any of the originals. When I read a comic, it's still always Kevin Conroy in my head. There's nothing I can do about it. It's like it's subconscious. You don't consciously, you don't consciously place that voice while you're reading. It just happens. And I don't know if it's because he was our first Batman that we heard so much when we were kids, or if it's just mm-hmm. the one we hear all through different types of media, whether it be the video games or the other animated films, he's, he's, you know, he's gone across so many different platforms where you can't say that about any other voice actor for Batman. So, but that 
that just goes to show you that no matter what kind of Batman book you're reading, <laughs> you still hear Kevin Conroy. Even though he was the kid's cartoon that we list, that we watched when we were kids, you could be reading the darkest, gruesomest, or most gruesome Batman comic, and you still hear his voice. That's really cool. And one really interesting thing that I got from that, um, that special that they put on the disc is, um, I can't remember if it was Paul Dini who said it, I think it was Dini, maybe. Um, but they had he had hit his stride when they made this movie because he, they had done. I think he's. I want to say he said about sixty-five episodes of the series. Okay, they had produced when they started on this movie. Um, and so I don't that know the that first that, season. That's probably the first season was like about because it. I know the first two seasons were considered, or the first two not volumes. That, not that 65 had been released. They had made, okay. they had gotten to that point. Um, but he, uh, he said that this movie, this performance shaped the way that Kevin Conroy did Batman for all the years to come afterwards, mm-hmm. because this was the most, he had to challenge himself to get, you know, to get this performance. Yeah. Um, even though he had done a lot for the show already, this was the performance that really set the tone for what his Batman was going to be. And mm-hmm. I love that because they did make a very personal connection between how, um, how tortured Batman is and Bruce Wayne is are in this movie and the real life journey of Kevin Conroy. And Andrea mm-hmm. Romano said that while he's, he was recording the scene that we talked about earlier, where you know he was talking to his parents graves he was lamenting um that he had this mission but he wanted this other life and she said that while he was performing in the booth she could tell there was something very personal in that and we all know you know the journey that conroy had coming out and as a gay man in hollywood and all that that entailed um and the the challenges he had with his own family when he yelled the line, I, you know, I never expected to be happy. She said she could tell that came from a deeply personal place and, you know, performing a role like that, you know, as a comic book character, I don't think you expect to have moments like that, but man, I, you could tell, I mean, especially listening back after you hear that story, you can tell there's something there, you know, for Kevin Conroy, other than just performing a character. Yeah. And that comes from the writing and comes from the, you know, the credit to Andrea Romano for casting him and, and everyone else involved in casting him and, and taking this material so seriously that it's allowed to be that emotional and, mm-hmm. and for him to care enough to dive into that emotion for just a comic book character. That's mm-hmm. that's really cool. But even to to put a little bit of himself or a oh, lot yeah. of himself into mm-hmm. the character. Yeah. So yeah. Um, also, I just wanted to, there was also quite a bit from Michael Rosenbaum in the, <laughs> in the short about, you know, how he taught him not to be kind. He said, because he had already, he'd already been taught through life how to be kind, but to go the extra step and just be a little kinder. So yeah, I, I'm not going to turn this into a Kevin Connery episode, but I just, I, I want to throw that out there because wow, what a, what a good uh, half hour special, you know, dedicating to Kevin Conroy. So I recommend that, but Joe, um, would you say there are there any favorite parts of this movie for you? Do you have a standout moment or part of this film? 
to me, the standout, I, other than the graveyard scene, I mean, because to me, the graveyard scene is the standout. I think the yeah. if I'm gonna pick one other spot, it would be the the final confrontation with with Andrea and the Joker and Batman having the three of them. Um, you know, basically Andrea knowing that she's just sacrificing herself to end it all and to just be done with it. Um, Bruce pleading with her not to do it and just knowing that there's nothing he could do to stop her. All that stuff at the end is really great, really emotional, but really fun also with the fighting prior to all that. Um, yeah, it's... We didn't even talk about the whole cops chasing Batman as kind of a year one homage that they do. Mm-hmm. Um and her rescuing him. There's so much stuff to again, 75 minutes and they pack a lot into this film. They don't waste any minute, any time here, but I think that final confrontation, because a lot of these movies, they don't really, you hear about the complaint all the time with the, the Hollywood films, the third act issue, the, the CGI, blah, 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 third act. And, and you know, the third act is the weak point. This film, that's not the case. They ended, they, they ended this one perfectly. Everything yep. comes together in the final act of this movie. And I think that's what makes this so strong is if you don't have that huge, you know, the, the emotion is what ends this movie to make it last, but it still has to be fun and it still has to have that action. I think it does a great job of balancing both of those things in that final confrontation. And then to end again with the gut punch at the end with the sadness again, um, mm-hmm. there's just so much going on in that final uh, you know what 20 minutes of this movie that I, I think that has to be that has to be my my pick other than the graveyard scene because I think the graveyard scene is the standout no matter what yeah I agree and before I move to some of my favorites I did want to ask you Bruce Tim has said that inspiration um, from year two if there is any was purely accidental <laughs> About the, I guess, the design between the Reaper and the Phantasm. Yeah. What do you think of that? It's funny because I year two was not a very talked about book at the time. I mean, I, I can't speak for how it was in '92 or '93. Um, right. But I didn't know anything about year two until I started really diving deep into comics. Mm-hmm. Is it possible? Absolutely. Um, it's a pretty big coincidence though, because there are a lot of similarities, but it's kind of a Reaper look like, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to say he's lying because I don't see why he would, but yeah, they, they look pretty similar. Um, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't really have that much of an opinion on it, to be honest with you. Well, the funny thing, and the reason I bring this up is because, you know, he says, of course, that there's if if there is inspiration, it's accidental. Um, but others that have worked on the film have said that it's it was always intentional. Oh, I didn't know that. So it's fascinating to hear that because I mean, it, you know, it seems like uh, so. It's Mike W. Barr, yes, who who wrote the year two. Um. He's the one who says it was absolutely intentional, but Tim says no. So it's an interesting dynamic there. I, I don't know. Um, which if I was Mike Barr, I think I'd say, oh yeah, they absolutely meant <laughs> meant to ape my stuff. 
And is it a legal thing? Like they might not be able to say that because then they would owe him. I don't. I don't even think they would, right? Because it's not. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how that's not the same character. So. Yeah, I don't know. like you're allowed, and it's he doesn't own the character because it's all in DC Comics. They're allowed to pretty much do whatever they want back, especially back then. Nobody, you know, nobody really was getting lawyers and protecting themselves back then. But yeah, yeah. I, I get, I get both sides where Bruce Tim doesn't want to admit he's kind of taken from somebody else, and Mike Barr, of course, is going to say, "Hey, um, yeah, this is clearly," and who's going to argue with him? Like you could see the coincidences. I mean. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so back to to kind of my favorite parts of the film because I've already talked about, of course, the graveyard scene, absolute favorite, and then I love the third act, like you do the the world's fair, the final battle, all that. But one of my absolute favorite parts of this movie is when Phantasm goes to kill Sal Valestra, only mm-hmm. to find out. That the Joker's already beat him to the punch. Yes. Or her to the punch, as as it would be. Um, and what I like the most about this scene is that Joker thought he was setting up Batman. Mm-hmm. But then when he figures out is this completely other character, he's delighted mm-hmm. and just finds it hilarious that he's beaten this this newcomer at his own game. And to me, I mean, there's I guess just the performance of Mark Hamill here cackling in glee when he figures this out and then blows up the building. I just, I, I love that. It's so Mm -hmm. on brand for Joker. It just, it, it gets me every time. I love that part. Yeah, The Joker is almost like an unsung hero of this film, because when people do talk about this film in passing, just in general, it's always about Conroy's performance and always about, you know, the phantasm as a character. I mean, it's in the title. Like, obviously she's going to play a huge part. But the Joker is so good in this on top of everything else. It's weird to think that the Joker almost even gets lost in the shuffle with everything going on in this movie. But it's almost like he kind of gets lost, but he won't be outdone. Because when you really think about it, he's still so good in this. And it's one of Hamill's best performances. It is. And I think it definitely benefits from the time period that it came out. Because Mm -hmm. had this come out today, I think people would have complained about the inclusion of the Joker. Or they would have used the Joker too much in the marketing, and, and or they they would have yeah they would have probably relied on him more than they did in this movie. He's still just a supporting character in this. He's not the main villain. Where in today they'd be too tempted to use more of him or or make him more of the focal point of everything. Hey, so this this just jogged my memory. Have you ever seen the Siskel and Ebert review of this movie? Isn't it negative? No. Oh, okay. They I couldn't love remember this movie. They okay. love this movie. In fact, because they had been reviewing the Batman movies coming out to that point, okay. 89 and, and returns and um, liked, but did not love the Keaton Batman, Keaton Burton Batman movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but they praised this film and talked about how this is how you do Batman. This okay. is how you make a Batman movie. Um, but the one thing which is fascinating to me that they did not like. They did not like Mark Hamill's voice as the Joker. <laughs> really? This is the one thing that didn't work for them was Hamill's Joker. That's funny. And they didn't even mention Hamill by name. They were just like this guy that does this voice for Joker. Oh, is- wow. Yeah. yeah pre-internet days, right? Where you could just look it up. Yeah. No, no. Um, the voice that, you know, Luke Skywalker here. None of yeah. that. Just this guy that does, doesn't work for me. That's and I was funny. like, Wow. Wow. Uh, cause I, I rewatched that little clip today cause mm-hmm. I thought about it 
because I'd watched it before and it just kills me that they love this movie, but the iconic Mark Hamill Joker, not so much. Uh, if they ever do a Mark Hamill tribute, um, like a little documentary on Mark Hamill as the Joker on one of these, gotta put that it would in be there. hilarious. You got to put that in there. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I'd love to hear Mark Hamill's comments on that. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> but yeah, um, Joe, is there anything else? I, I know we didn't talk about the entire story um, or go through it beat by beat, but is there anything that you absolutely wanted to mention before we kind of give some final thoughts here? No, and I, I, I don't, I mean, with a movie like this, it's, it's not necessary to go beat by beat. Everybody knows this movie. You know, I, I know this movie, you know, front to back. I I'll be honest with you. I didn't even really rewatch this. <laughs> like I've seen it so many times. I watched mm-hmm. this, on my own so many times i put this on in the background last weekend when we were going to record while i was just doing stuff around the house and i i i'm like reciting the words while it's happening like i i know it so well um i have it on right now while we're recording and just on in the background it, it is a comfort movie and it's it's so funny because you're so right it is the saddest batman movie that there's ever been but it's it's weird to say it's a comforting movie for me because it, it is it's just this is the Batman, you know, I know it's not anything new to say the animated series should have always been the template in any Batman movie. Mm-hmm. And I understand, like, I'm not one of those people that that wants just the animated series on film because I, I, I listen, I would take it. And I love it. I get why directors want to do their version. They don't want to just copy and paste what's in the animated series. I get that. But this is the perfect idea of what a live action Batman could be, um, in my opinion, and in most people's opinions. I mean, there aren't many people that do not like Batman, the animated series. It's hard to find someone that doesn't. Um, And it's hard to, I feel bad sometimes talking about Batman, the animated series, when we talk about this movie, but it's hard to separate the two. Uh, This is just to me, the best episode of Batman, the animated series in long form. Mm. Like it's, do I want to say it's a perfect Batman movie? It, it would be hard for me to nitpick this. Like, is it a perfect Batman movie? Because maybe, it's an origin movie. It doesn't include Robin. So you can't say it's everything you want in a Batman movie, but in a Batman solo movie, to me, this is almost a perfect Batman movie. And it's weird to think of it as a, a perfect Batman movie being a love story because so many times you don't want that, but to create an original character to be a love interest of Batman. um, Yeah. I, I could not gush about this film anymore. Um, I don't have anything in particular to, to add to this, but I think we, I think I've said everything I need to say about it, uh, for the time being. Sure. Yeah. And that sounds like a good, a good final thought, uh, to wrap it up there, Joe. So, uh, for myself, I mean, it's a movie that's 30 years old that I never get tired of. I mean, I could put this on at any time and be sucked right back into, you know, me as a kid in my early earliest days of loving Batman. And it takes me right back there because of how good it is and how great the performances are and just the style, how good this looks 
And it just pr- takes me, I, I mean, I'm with you. It's an extension of the animated series to me, mm-hmm. but the bat, but the animated series is perfection when it comes to Batman. Um, so whether it be, you know, of course there's, there's the, there's the not so great animated episodes, but the series as a whole and the films, they're how you do Batman. And I, I don't think I'll ever get tired of this. Ask me again in another 30 years on the 60th anniversary. I'll tell you how much I love this movie. Um, so yeah, for me, I don't think it gets any better than this. Um, and, and, and there's a reason, you know, even though under the red hood, just slightly edged it out on my ranking on any given day, it's a toss up between those two. And I think that's a mark 30 years later of how good this movie is. Um, so yeah, like you, I mean, I can't praise any more accolades on it than we already have, but yeah, it's Christmas time and. I feel that way because I just watched Mask of the Phantasm. So, um, well, before Joe, you before you wrap it up perfectly, uh, and I feel bad because we we both had our final thoughts, and I thought about something, and I want to give Brian Lauer credit because as stupid as this is, I never put two and two together, and I don't remember who his guest was on the episode, but he was talking about either uh, Batman and Monster Man or Batman and the Mad Monk, and he was talking about the character of Julie Madison and mm-hmm. talking about how this pulls so much from those stories with Julie Madison and her father. And I never put two and two together that it is clearly a lot of similarities between the two. And I've always loved Julie Madison as a character in the comics. And I think that's why this character works so well in the movie, or maybe that's why in retrospect, I liked Julie Madison as a character because I read everything after watching this movie. Um, I know you have not read those stories and I, I definitely recommend them because there are a lot of similarities. Um, but I do want to give him credit because I do think that is a really cool template for Andrea Beaumont as a character. I think Andrea is a little bit, um, they, they added more to Andrea as a character, which made her more, um, more of an interesting character in my opinion, in this movie than Julie, but I did always like Julie as a character too, but I I did want to give Ryan credit for that because I never put two and two together like that. And I think it's important to, um, acknowledge that when you talk about Andrea Beaumont as a character, because she is such a great character. Um, and you always wonder like what made them think about creating an original character and how they did that. Um, so I do wonder if that was intentional or not again, kind of like the year two thing I'll never know for sure, but there are definitely similarities there. But then um, as I screwed up our wrap up here, <laughs> I'll let you wrap it up better after I did my final words and stuff. But I just wanted to say that. No, yeah, great shout out to Ryan and the Batman Book Club. In fact, I just saw that he posted today that it looks like Mask yes. of the Phantasm is going to be their next episode. I'm assuming the adaptation. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, super excited for that. So check that out, everybody, when Ryan drops his episode. Um, but yeah, Joe, I think that's a great place to to put a pin in it and to wrap it up. Um, this is going to be our. We may have we may end up having three episodes in December. I think we will. Mm-hmm. Um, so keep your, keep your eyes peeled to our podcast, uh, channels on the social media pages. Uh, cause I think we've got a Christmas episode coming and, uh, then we're going to of course do Aquaman at the end of the month. Um, but Joe, before we, we leave, we do have an email that I wanted to uh, make sure we get to. And this comes from Stuart, uh, Stuart from Guernsey. He says, Hey guys, it's Stuart. 
I was checking my local cinema and noticed on the listing for Aquaman that Ben Affleck is in the movie. Do you think this could be an error or do you think we are going to see this scene with him in it? I'm pretty sure we heard that there wasn't going to be a Batman scene now, whether Keaton or Affleck. I really hope we get to see him, even if it is just Bruce Wayne. What do you guys think? I have attached an image on the listings for you. Also, will there be another Christmas show this year? Have you got any plans? Hope you're both doing well, Stuart. Uh, and, and Stuart did, he did include a screenshot from his theater where it had the the cast there. And it does say starring Jason Momoa and the second name on the list, Ben Affleck. So Joe, um, interesting Interesting little message here. I have not given, I had not given this one thought and I haven't checked IMDb or the cast listings at my theaters or anything like that. But what do you think of uh, Ben Affleck showing up on his, on his app here? So my initial thought is it's gotta be like an old call sheet or an old something. Um, But I also find it weird because when he was supposed to be just a cameo, would they have even included him intentionally? I don't know. It's hard because well, I I truly don't think he's going to be in it. But I would love it, and I hope it's not an error, but I just don't see how it wouldn't be one because of everything we know, and I wouldn't get my hopes up that he's going to be in it because I just don't think... I'm, I'm torn on it because part of me thinks... Why not just include it? Who cares? But another part of me thinks, you know what? Just make this a standalone Aquaman 2 because it's not going anywhere anyway. Give me a perfect sequel to the first one. Make it an Aquaman movie. Don't lead to anything that's not coming later. Don't have anything that's not going to be paid off. Just finish the Aquaman movies and that's it. But I mean... I think if it's not included in the movie, I don't think we're ever going to see the, I don't think we're ever going to see it either, which sucks. I, I think if we never saw the alternate endings of the flash, I don't think we're ever going to see these weird cameos with Keaton or Affleck that were filmed, but aren't going to be included. It's, it's tough. It, it It's a weird place that we're in. And part of me just wants to see everything because I can separate the two include them as special features like why not but they they don't want to and hopefully they leak someday so we actually do get to see them but i don't know yeah um as for myself i Stuart, i do not want to be a debbie downer or a doomsayer but i think this is an error um so it's on imdb he's the second in the cast list on imdb I still think it's an error. Oh, yeah. IMDb is fan done anyway. I'm just saying that's so weird. Like Patrick Wilson's third. <laughs> like and, How? And let me tell you why. Ben Affleck was in quite a bit of the flash and requested to be uncredited. Oh, that's right. So I don't see any way for a cameo in yeah. Aquaman 2. He would be credited. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just I think it's a, I think it's an error. And I hate yeah. to say that, but I think um, they have made it clear that they do not want to leave dangling threads and and give people hope that something may continue. So the fact that it's on IMDb, you think the th- theaters just take from that problem? Probably. Yeah. 
that's the way I feel about it. I think it just hasn't been updated and they haven't removed it for whatever reason. And I don't expect it. If he's there, I'll be the first to say that's a great surprise oh, um, yeah. because I, I don't know if it was real blend or where the, it was, this question was asked, is he still in the movie? And whoever the interview was, and forgive me, I can't remember, was very elusive about it. Oh, you'll have to find out when you go to the theater. But I think that's just one of those things where they're just trying to, you know. Yeah, I feel like it was Juan in Empire Magazine, I think it was. Might be. Juan yeah. said something in one of the interviews, yeah. But he was very noncommittal about it. Yeah. And I think that's just because they're trying to get as much interest in the movie as they can. It was Patrick. Was it Patrick Wilson, maybe, on Real Blonde? Maybe that's what we're thinking of. Maybe, yeah. Um, but but yeah, I I don't think he's gonna be in it, and I'm sorry to say that. But again, if he's there, I'll be. It'll be the most pleasant of surprises for this mm-hmm. final DCEU movie. Yeah, um, agreed. But stay tuned because we will be covering that one when it comes out later this month. Um, but to your second question, Stuart, yes, we will be having a Christmas special again this year, and our Christmas special because we're getting a new Batman animated Christmas movie will be Merry Little Batman. Um, so I am waiting with bated breath to see if I like that one or not. So we'll (laughs) see, um, not crazy about the animation so far, but I did like the trailer very much. Um, so Joe, you excited about the Christmas special or no? I'm a little apprehensive. I I'm with you. I I liked the trailer. I was pleasantly surprised, but the animation is just so weird. It's just, I, I think it's, it's disappointing that my, my best case scenario is I like it in spite of the animation. Yep. Um, and that's my hopeful thought is I can look past it. I mean, it, it is what it is at this point. I'm not going to harp on it. I, I still do wish it wasn't that animation, but I'm not going to hold it against it at this point. I, I'm over it. Like, I'm just going to watch it and hope for the best. I, I hope it's fun. I hope it's for kids. Like, if it's for kids and it's it's fun and entertaining, hey, whatever. I, I think it was still unnecessary to go that route, but whatever i'm i'm a 37 year old guy complaining about a batman animated show what are you gonna do you know yep but that is coming very soon so keep an eye on our social media to see when we're releasing that christmas special because it's coming sooner than you think um but joe that's where we're going to wrap it up for this episode covering mask of the phantasm so thank you again for coming back so glad to have you back in the other chair and why don't you let everybody know where they can find you out there on social media Oh yeah. Thank you for having me back. It was fun to finally get back here and and do this again. It feels like it's been almost a month uh, since I've, I've been doing this maybe even longer. Close to it. Yeah. Um, And thank you again to Matt. That was a fun episode to listen to. It was cool to to just be able to listen to an episode. It's been a long time since I've been able to do that. And uh, hopefully I can, we could cover uh, something in the next year uh, with, uh, with Matt and get the three of us on again. So I will, um, you know, I'll, you know, look forward to the next few episodes here leading up to Christmas, leading up to Aquaman 2. And you guys, if you want to reach out, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Vero. And yeah, Vero. Wow. Throwback. And, <laughs> um, and Letterboxd as J411. Um, Vero, I, I got, you know, Rebel Moon on the brain for uh, the Snyder stuff. So. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, so, uh, yeah, J411 there, and you can find me on Facebook as Joe Fornarato, F O R N A R O T T O. Excellent. And as for myself, you can find my personal accounts on Instagram, X, and Letterboxd at MeCarter89. That's M E Carter89. The show's accounts can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and X at TFRBatPod. 
Again, if you'd like to uh, send any messages to the show, you can send those to our email, tfrbatpod at gmail.com. Like Stuart's today, we will read those on the show. If you're looking for a way to support the show, the best and easiest way to do that is to leave us a rating on whatever podcast platform you listen on. If you do leave a written review on Apple Podcasts, we will read those on the show. If you're looking for another way to support the show, and we don't ask that you spend a dime on this show, but if you'd like to, we'd greatly appreciate it. You can go to redbubble.com and search shop TFR, all one word, and find our awesome logos created by Justin Kowalski on all kinds of merch there. Our theme song was composed by the very talented Gaurav Ventikeswar, and his music can be found on gvtunes.com absolutely make sure that you go to the link in the description of this show to organicpricebooks.com get you in a little extra Christmas shopping and save some money and support this show while you do so. But that's going to do it for this episode of TFR. For Joe, I'm Eric. Thank you so much. And until next time, make sure you keep that bat signal lit and pointed skyward. Batman was created by Bill Finger and Bob Kane and is the sole property of Warner Brothers Discovery. The Fire Rises, a Batman podcast, is in no way associated with Warner Brothers Discovery, DC Comics, or DC Studios. The thoughts and opinions of the participants of this show are their own and do not represent the companies that they work for. Thank you for listening. We'll see you on the next episode. I don't want to let you down, honest, but, but it just doesn't hurt so bad anymore. You can understand that, can't you? Look, I can give money to the city. They can hire more cops, let someone else take the risk, but it's different now. Please, I need it to be different now. But I didn't see this coming. I didn't count on being happy. Please, tell me that it's okay. Maybe they already have. Maybe they sent me.